0: Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today, I'm super excited to be discussing mold with a what I would consider a world-leading expert on the subject. Brian Carr,
1: welcome to the show, man. Hey, thank you. God, that sounds great. Whoever woke up in the morning be like, yeah, this morning, I'm going to be super excited to talk about mold. I don't know if anyone woke up and said <laughs> that, but I,
0: I, I kind of do it. It's fun. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. So Brian, maybe do you want to let my listeners know a little bit about your journey? How did you get so fascinated into, you know, learning about mold exposure and mold toxicity?
1: Yeah. It's not something you go to school for and you're like, this is what I want to be when I grow up. Fireman, policeman, and a mold guy. Um, no, you know, I had like so many people in this space, I had my own experience and it just kind of opened my eyes to what was going on. And I kind of had a family tie into it too. So what happened is I lived, you give you a short version, lived in an apartment, had a leak into my apartment from the unit above. So it kind of flooded into my room. Um, you know, your landlord comes out, everything's cool. Nothing's, there's no problem. We fixed the leak. Everything's fine, whatever. Right. Weeks go by, months go by, I start getting sick. Right. start seeing that there's something going on. And, um, and so through that process, trying to figure it out, I happen to be dating who's now my wife, but her dad. Does this like this? He's who taught me how to do all this stuff. And she's like, You know, you should really talk to my dad because he works with clients that are sick and this and that. Your symptoms sound similar or whatever. And you know, I'm not one of these like super mold sensitive people, but the things that were coming up were like things that were kind of these consistent symptoms that people don't really think of until you understand that mold is a thing that triggers them, right? And then you put it together. So for me, it manifests a lot in skin issues. That's kind of the big thing that jumped it off for me. But, anyways. Finally, you know, he comes out and takes a look at everything. And I was like, so skeptical. I'm like, this was early in our relationship, me and my wife at the time. So like, I wasn't even sure like, this was going to be it. Right. Now you're bringing the dad in and you're like doing all this stuff. Like, oh, it's kind of the whole thing's (laughs) kind of weird. Anyways, he goes through my apartment. He finds eight hidden mold sources in the house. Some of which were in the room where the water event happened, where the landlord had a mold, you know, mold inspector, right. This local guy come out take a couple of air samples and said everything was fine. Lo and behold, every wall in that room was covered in mold on the backside of the walls that you couldn't see, right? And then he even went through the rest of my apartment and found like three or four other things that I didn't even know what was going on. And I looked at the end, I was like, "Whoa!" Well, I was like, all right, so you got this dude over here who basically was like, I don't know, uh, some, some guy came in for 20 minutes and took a sample and left. Like that's like one side of it. The other side you have, who's now my father-in-law that came in spent, I mean, he was in my, he was in my 800 square foot apartment for two hours, right. Going through the whole apartment, found this stuff, helped me get out of my lease and navigate that because, you know, we weren't family yet, but I was dating his daughter. So he kind of helped me with all that stuff. And then I saw the difference and I saw what was going on. And right before this, uh, long story short, I was looking for a job at the time. And so I just kind of like with him, I was like, Hey, I would love to work with you and learn from you. This is amazing what you did for me. And he started explaining that this is like everyone that he works with. I'm like, are you kidding? This is like a thing. And that just kind of, that was how I started.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. I'd love to dive into, I guess, like when he initially came through the house and did his diagnostic testing, when he, when he did that back then, how does that compare to the way that you go about, you know, that diagnostic testing today
1: at its core, it's all the same. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all about understanding source of where the problem is located Mm. and also knowing that most mold you can't see. So like the big problem in our industry is that people go in and they have this idea of like air quality. They're like, oh, we're gonna do an air quality test that tells everything that's going on. We're going to stick an air sampling pump in the middle of your room. And whatever. Well, I've since then a couple of years ago, I did a year long study off of that practice, which I know doesn't work, but I didn't really have any proof that it didn't work. Right. So every house that I went into for a year, if I thought there was a mold problem in a wall or a cabinet or something that was hidden, you know, that was not a visible thing. And there was no active moisture at the time. Right. So this is what these local guys come in. They come in, they tell you, there's no water right now, it's dry. There can't be mold. This is what they all tell you. And it's like not, can't even be further from the truth. And so, um, in a house, if there's a spot where I see there's a previous water damage indicator, there's no visible mold. There's no moisture at the time. Right. What I did is I took a sample directly at that area at the source, which is how you validate if there's something there. And then I took literally like two, three feet away. Like if for people watching the distance I am from the wall, right behind me took an air sample at like breathing zone air quality, 80% of the time that sample showed a false negative when there was a problem behind that wall. Hmm. And so that's the big difference. And, And that's really the core of the whole process. And what we've expanded and added to the process now is more of, the panel of what we're looking for and optimizing the remediation protocols and things to kind of keep up with what we're learning and different things like that. But the core core of the entire process is understanding how to go through a house, how to find the signs that indicate there might be mold hiding somewhere, which are really subtle signs, and then being able to get to that source, test and validate and start the process from there.
0: Mm. Interesting. So, I guess, yeah, we've got the environmental signs, but then I'd love to, yeah, expand upon some of the signs and symptoms within an individual. Like, what are some of the things that people, you know, may experience when it comes to mold exposure and mold toxicity?
1: It is so much across the board. Mold, you know, mold illness. I have all these quotes apparently today. I'm a quote guy today. Mold illness is this term that had been thrown around for a long period of time. But the thing about it is that like in the medical system, so like you go and you see a doctor, you go to the hospital, you go, whatever they have. I just learned this not that long ago. There's like a computer system that they go into and they have to, they have to click a button with a code that your diagnosis matches this code in the system. You have pneumonia, you have fill in the blank, right? The problem with mold exposure and what it does in your body is that there isn't one code to that right? It manifests in so many different ways. The way it's described is a multi-system, multi-symptom type of issue that's going on. Multi-system, meaning neurological, skin, digestive, right? Like all that stuff. And then multi-symptom, meaning it can manifest in so many different ways in somebody. So for me, it's, it's skin issues that come up, right? For other people's neurological issues, it's either brain fog or neurodegenerative things. For other folks, it's like chronic pain everywhere, right? Cause you get this, you get this systemic inflammation throughout your body and that could create chronic pain in places for other people. It's, it's significant digestive issues and gut problems. And then if you have another sort of health condition on the side of that, that's already kind of taxing your body a little bit. So let's say you have an autoimmune issue, you have Lyme disease, you have something like that. Then what happens is that mold comes in and it kind of just like stacks on top of that and it triggers those things in a more significant way, right? It just happens in so many different ways. You know, Dr. Jill Krista, actually, uh, she has a book that's called Break the Mold. And there's a section of book that talks through all the different systems and symptoms and things. So somebody's looking for a snapshot, like that's an awesome spot. It was like five pages of bullet points of here's how it affects the ear, nose and throat. Here's how it affects this, this, and this. And uh, that's a really good spot to look. You
0: know, it's really interesting, Brian, because um, I've always wondered what makes someone more susceptible to experiencing symptoms when it comes to mold exposure. Like, you know, why are some people affected, whereas other people sort of, you know, can handle it or tolerate it, I guess.
1: Yeah. There's like two things to that, right? So one is a lot of people are exposed and don't understand that they're exposed and that their symptoms are from that. Right. So a lot of people are kind of going through life and they're like, Oh, this things kind of hurting or like, Oh, I'm getting older and I'm kind of forgetting things. I guess that's normal or, Oh, uh, you know, I'm not as regular as I used to be or my gut kind of hurts. My stomach hurts when I eat stuff, but you know, that happens because I'm getting older. Right. So you like normalize these things. I'm not saying that all those are always a mold issue. Right. But what we need to think about is, our bodies are actually meant to run pretty, pretty smooth and incredibly, right? And so when things are off, there's a reason that they're off. And so the first part of that answer is that there's a lot of people that are exposed to stuff and having reactions and have no clue because they go see their regular doctor. It's not in the doctor code in the back. And next thing you know, you're like, hey, take this medicine and your blood tests look fine. This should be fine. And they treat the symptom, which might be the pain, right? It's like chronic fatigue syndrome is not a real thing it's Like, and people are feeling it, right? But that's a diagnosis of symptom because they don't actually know what's causing it, right? And so, so that's what happens when you go to some of the doctors that don't understand the more functional approach of like how to figure out like what the source issue of something is inside of your body. The other side of the coin is there are genetic things, there are previous exposure things. So I say someone's exposure is gonna depend on their genetic makeup, It's going to depend on their previous exposures throughout their life and then their current health position. Those are the three big things. Mm -hmm. So genetically, there's a gene in the body. It's called the HLA gene. If it's switched off, on, I forget. If it's not switched the way it's supposed to be switched, um, you're not able to detox environmental contamination well, right? Mm -hmm. That's 24% of the entire population has this genetic predisposition. Oh, so you're talking already a huge chunk of people. And a lot of them probably don't even know that's going on. Mm. The next thing, if you were previously exposed, say when you were younger, you lived in a house that had a mold issue, let's say, for example. So this is explained to me this way once. So your body, it sees things, especially when you're younger. And it reacts to it. And then it remembers it. It's like, Oh, this happened. This is what you do, right? That's kind of how autoimmune issues are created is that it sees something. And then now every time it sees that thing, it sort of triggers on that thing. Someone explained it to me also of how like your body's defenses are kind of like a, like an attack dog kind of. So like you have your dog trained and the dog doesn't attack every single person that walks through the door or whatever. But it it attacks this particular person for this particular reason, and so now if you were exposed to something when you were younger and your body reacted and it remembers that, and then down the road you're now exposed again, it like immediately just kicks it back into gear, and then you have this this reaction, and that could be you know kind of like an autoimmune sort of thing as an example of what that is, and then the last thing is your current health position. Right, so now if you have autoimmune issues, Lyme disease, pans, pandas, you know, fill in the blank of all these things that are impacted by environment, and then you're exposed to mold on top of that. Now you can be showing symptoms. Mm-hmm. So I did a I did a presentation for our industry a couple of years ago, like our biggest industry conference, and it was titled "Remediation for Hypersensitive or Mold Sensitive People." Kind of trying to teach our people on how to do it, and I had to figure out like how do I. How do I visualize this for all these people in the room that I know think that the one person who is complaining is the one crazy person, and they actually don't even want to deal with that person because they seem like a headache, right? But the truth is that person is at minimum, just from what I did, 40% of the entire US population. That's that genetic predisposition. That's autoimmune issues, Lyme disease, PANS and PANDAS. You put all those together, it's 130 million people in the US that have at least one of those things going on. Yeah. So it's a lot bigger than we think.
0: Yeah, I think it's really well explained. And I guess the other aspect that Brian is, um, when it comes to, I know you said at the start that there's certain types of mold that can actually be not visible. So, like, do you want to sort of break down the common thing that people think of is black, seeing black mold in the shower? Like, I've got if I go upstairs and have a look in my shower, there's black mold everywhere. So, did you want everywhere? <laughs> we need to talk about this. <laughs> I need to get you over here to, to Melbourne, Australia, because it's, it's, it's a disaster. It's literally, it's like black green. Yeah. I'm sure it's yeah, not good.
1: Well, so when I say that, the majority of mold problems in any house, they're hidden. Most of it's hidden. Mm. I have this joke that I say all the time. I'm like, you know, the, the secret to finding mold in a house is to not actually look for mold in the house. The secret is to look for signs of water issues in the past, previous water intrusion, not even stuff that's wet right now, but stuff that happened 10 years ago, stuff that happened however long ago. And these are like, there's really only five things that that I look for when I go through any house. So you're looking, it's these five signs of water damage. And these are really like the, almost the red flags. If I see this, I'm like, oh, there's, there's like a 75% chance there's a hidden mold issue back here. Cause that was another study I did at some point as I looked at all of these areas and what was the frequency that I, that there was actually a problem behind yeah. these things. And it was 75% of the time we found there was a problem there. So think, so the five things, the easiest one is staining. If you see something that's stained or discolored, it means that maybe there's a water issue that occurred there. Right. Again, it does not have to be wet. The thing is if mold grew at some point in time ever, right. If mold grew, And then the water goes away. So you stop the leak, you know, whatever, there's no more water that's there. The mold doesn't like pack up its suitcase and take off and go look for water somewhere else. It's not like this traveling nomad tribe, right? It's like a plant, like it grows and then it's just going to stay there until you pull it out basically. Right. And so that's what happens. The problem is when the water goes away, the colony becomes really brittle, it's not sturdy anymore. It it gets really flaky and it can break apart. And then it breaks apart and impacts our breathing zone even more so than if it was alive sometimes because the whole thing shrivels and shatters into pieces basically. So that's why when we go through the house, we're looking for these things. So staining is one of them. Bubbling like paint, like you see bubbling in paint, or you see it like in a cabinet. Like if you open up your cabinet under your sink, I guarantee, I want to say guarantee 95% chance, you're gonna have one sink in your house. If you open up your cabinet you're gonna see one of these five things in there, right? Because water drips and sinks are super common and no one ever does anything about it. But then there's a 75% chance there's a mold problem there, right? You can start like putting this together. So bubbling, which is if you look at something, you just kind of see like bubbles, you know, you know, kind of like humping or bumping in it. Buckling, which is more of like a hard bow. So, like if you ever, if you ever had like water come in like under a floor and you see like the floor feels bowed or buckled, right? So something like that chipping or cracking or peeling. So like, if you look at paint and you look at the paint on the wall and it's like chipping for some reason, but it's not doing it somewhere else, moisture a lot of times can cause that. Right. So that's one of the clues. And then the last one is, um, it's more like mineral deposits. You see this more in like crawl spaces or basements, but like, if you look at your foundation, there's like the white lines on the cinder block and stuff like that, then that means that water has come in there at some point created that mineral deposit. So, you know, that's happened. That's the five things. I literally go through every house, look in every room and every spot for one of those five things. And if one of those things are there, then that's a suspect spot where we think there might be something hidden. And that's, that's like the secret to doing it.
0: <laughs> and then I guess like, let's say somebody does decide to have a look under their sink and they see some of these things you've mentioned from a diagnostic perspective, like what sort of technology is currently being used for that
1: nowadays? Yeah, so it's tough because there's not like a single test that's the best for everything, right? So if people start going down the mold rabbit hole, they're going to run into a test that's called ERMI. They're going to see this test, um, which is actually really, really awesome technology behind the test. But the purpose of the test is as a screening sample of your whole house. The purpose of the test is not to say there's a problem behind this wall or in this cabinet or something like that. That is not the strength of it. And if you use it in that way, it's not going to work. Right. Instead, it's a dust collection that you do throughout your whole house to just get an understanding of the overall exposure load that's moving in your house, settling on your surfaces, and ultimately what you're being exposed to. So, a lot of times, doctors will tell their patients, "Start with an ERMI. You know, we've done a blood test on you. You've done a urine mycotoxin test. You've done the division contract sensitivity test. You've done fill in the blank for all the mold stuff you can do for screening tests on the body. And stuff is making us think that you've got a mold issue going on. So the first step for us is, are you still in the place right now with the problem? Or is this like a historical issue that we're needing to deal with? And they'll say, so the first thing you do, go do an army in your house. You order this, you order this sample from a lab. They send you like a Swiffer cloth, basically, and you do a dust collection throughout the house. Now, the army scoring system and the interpretation within it is kind of crap. So it's not super great. But the technology that's being used to do the analysis is the gold standard for diagnostic for mold, which is it's called PCR. is basically DNA formatting of, of whatever mold types might be there. So because of that and how the ERMI can be so misleading for people, I created an ERMI interpretation tool that instead of just kind of looking at stuff, and I won't go into all the mechanics of why the scoring system is flawed, but basically there's there's two core issues. One, there's there's a stated standard deviation in the scoring system within the original study that was created by it. That's a standard deviation of three either way, which is a huge standard deviation in the interpretation of what that score means in their world and how they're telling you. So you could have one sample And it could be interpreted three down or three up. And if you go three down, it's the best house you've ever seen. If you go three up, it's the worst house you've ever seen. So in what world is looking at that number make any sense for interpreting what it means, right? It just doesn't make any sense. Um, So what we did, I was seeing this all the time. So I went back the last three years of every inspection that we've done. And because we do ERMES as part of our inspection. But the other thing that we do is we actually go through the house and we figure out, Are there sources of mold in this house? Are there not? How many are there? Are there mycotoxins in this house, right? And we we have more information that correlates to the ERMI. And then figured out an algorithm, basically, from being able to look at the ERMI and compare it to what we were seeing in the houses that can actually give somebody more realistic expectation on the severity of what's going on in their house. How many sources could you expect to find in the house, which would mean in turn, like how big of a remediation project might that be, right? Mm -hmm. To fix it. And then, you know, should I stay or should I go because of this, you know, those types of things. So then we have sort of ranking systems and where you fit in the overall kind of data set, And then some explanation on here's the considerations you make on that front, like the odds of you finding a place better than this are either, you know, not very good or maybe they are good or whatever it is. Right. So that's we kind of created that as a way to sort of interpret it and help people navigate that piece because it is such it's it's really the first thing that so many people do, but it can give you such a false information set in the way it's interpreted that then people go down a road that they shouldn't even be going down. Right. Because it didn't interpret interpretive properties. So we called it the ERMI code. And then that's what, that's what we put together. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Just out of curiosity, Brian, like ha- have you kept a running tally on the number of houses you've, you've inspected
1: at all? Or like, yeah, what, what sort of numbers are we looking at? I uh, I was, and then I stopped. It's, it's in the thousands. It's, it's thousands over all the years I've been doing it. Um, I'm probably, if I had to guess, I'd say it's probably somewhere in the 7,000 range, something like that, maybe less that uh, don't quote me. I don't know, but it's, it's a lot. <laughs> I
0: imagine, I think on your Instagram bio, you said your goal, was it a hundred K, a hundred K goal?
1: Yeah. The goal overall, and this is really what our company mission is. And we're really internally, Really trying to clarify this so we all have a driving path of where we're going because we've been growing, you know, significantly quickly. But it's we want to empower people with the tools and the services that they need in order to create healthy homes. And we know that doesn't mean that we always go into the house and do the inspection because we can only do so many of those. Mm-hmm. So, what we want to do is say, Listen, we want to help a hundred thousand people figure this out, right? If I'm going through and I can do, I maybe that number I gave earlier. was off. If I'm going through and we can, we can help 150 people this year in doing an in-house inspection. It's not enough, right? I mean, it's great for those 150 people or 200 or 300 or however many we're able to do, but there's so many other people that need help. So like, what can we do to empower these other people to give them tools and information and things that they need to do? So that's kind of like our big thing between my podcast and some of the uh, digital training programs that we've created to help people and in this interpretation tool here, we're in the back, like looking at how many people overall are engaging and, and using this information to try to get to that goal.
0: Mm, yeah, that's awesome. So I guess um, in terms of the identification aspect, Brian, so as I mentioned before, like the, the black mold that's actually present um that i can phys- i can physically see you know on the borders of where the glass meets the tiling mm-hmm. um is that would that be like a prominent like one of the most nasty forms of mold is
1: it the one that you can see that's literally black or how, how does that go yeah you know it's so funny um I I've had inspectors go in and say this type of mold isn't a problem. Like they'll see something growing like in the shower or on a piece of framing in the attic. Like, Oh, this mold can't, can't get you sick. How the hell do you know what kind of mold that is one? And how do you as a home inspector basically have any concept of what that means for someone's health, right? It just blows my mind how arrogant some of these people are when they go into houses and make some of these statements. Right. And so the thing for me is there's, the, the term black mold has been has been popularized just because Stachybotrys, which is really what people are referring to, the toxic black mold, that's really what they're talking about. It's known to be very toxigenic. There was an issue where that mold in particular in the 90s impacted a lot of kids at, at a school or a daycare or something. I forget exactly what it was. And so then it, it's like it's like that mold has an awesome PR agent, basically. And so that's the one that really got kind of the notoriety. But the reality is there's a lot of molds that grow dark black in color. And they range all the way from all the way into white. And then all the different colors in between, you have oranges and yellows and Browns and greens and and grays and things like that. So there's a lot of different molds and what they, and what they look like. And a lot of times when the question is asked, like, is this the more dangerous mold? It's kind of like backtracking and say, well, what are we really asking by that question? Right? Because when people say black mold, they think toxic mold. When they're thinking toxic mold, they're actually not thinking about the mold at all. They're thinking about the mycotoxin chemical it creates. And that's actually what they're referring to, even though they're kind of lumping it under this idea of a toxic mold mm. in its own right. Every mold is mold, right? Some of them have the ability to produce a chemical biotoxin, which is an additional problem and can be you know, obviously not good for us. Right. So it's hard to say like one is different than the other. The other thing is that not only like the black molds produce these toxins, right? There are other types of molds, species of aspergillus, of penicillium, of different types of molds that also produce super potent mycotoxins. So I try to get people off of like the black mold that looks the worst is the worst for me thing and more towards the we need to test and see what type of mold this is. We need to test and understand are there toxins in the house as a result of what's going on, and then create a strategy that would that makes sense to attack this the best way that we can to fix it. Right, instead of trying to sort of like normalize and, and and do it in in a more, you know, kind of shortcut form of way, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. So then I guess um, from a prophylactic or preventative standpoint, Brian, obviously number one thing would be to remove the source or remove the mold to some degree. But then what about like, I know you mentioned air filters and products like that, that actually can help to filter the air. Like you know, how much merit do you place on these items and
1: devices? I have a high-end air filter in pretty much every single room in my house. Oh. I don't have a mold problem in my house, but beyond mold, these things are beneficial. Like like just take a step back, get out of the mold world for a second. Think of this. And some people, I know people think tap water is cool in some states of the country, like New York tap water is apparently great. I'll tell you this. I would never, ever drink water out of a tap anywhere that I ever went. Just think of all the pipes and the grimy crap that all the water's going through. Like, ugh, just gross, right? Most people are in that camp. Most people like, you know, I bottled water, filtered water, this or that, or whatever why is the air in our house any different than that why are we not filtering our air if you you actually ever opened a wall and saw what was behind it it's freaking gross and it's not even like the mold piece there's like all this old nasty insulation in there there's like dead rodents back there there's insects there's rodent droppings there's like all this stuff back there our air is coming through those walls and getting into our living space that's gross Right. And so at the very core of it, I'm a really big proponent of filtration units in houses, not even from a mold perspective, just from a general, what you're exposed to in the house perspective. Right. And then let's not even get into mold yet. Then you start thinking about everything you bring in your house and the off-gassing of chemicals from your furniture and from the insulation that's being sprayed all over the place and all this stuff. And you have VOCs getting in the space. These filters can help downgrade the overall VOC off-gassing load which is, again, less that our body is now tasked with to try to handle, right? So you're reducing some of that. So that, that's just kind of the general sort of pitch on using these things. I'm a really big fan of them. On the mold front, they aren't going to fix a mold problem, right? So, so if I go into a house and I find seven, eight sources of mold that's hidden you know, behind walls and things in a house and people are like, okay, cool. We're just going to put in air filters and we're going to be fine. I'm like, guys, you're not going to get any better. It's not going to work, Right. I'm okay with them as like a bridge. Like, listen, we have to figure out our remediation plan. What can we do in the interim to try to just reduce our exposure a little bit and sort of get on the right path, right? I'm okay with them for that. And I think that they could be helpful to a degree when that happens. But if you're thinking that it's fixing your whole problem, it's not going to. To your point, you have to fix the source of the problem. You have to remove the source of where it's coming from. That's where remediation comes in, right? So like for me... The idea is that you remediate and you clean properly and you kind of get the house to as close of a clean slate as you can get it to. Then you bring in air filtration units and you bring in cleaning practices and you bring uh, and you implement um, schedules for maintenance of your HVAC system and for your plumbing to be looked at and like all these things to stay preventative on everything. And you do that moving forward. And that's kind of the prevention component.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. One thing that popped up there. Brian would be, um, I guess from the cleaning aspect, let's say somebody does, you know, personally discover mold in their house and they want to remove it or clean it themselves. Have you seen people actually do more harm by trying to remove it or clean it themselves at all?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, the first thing, if you are seeing mold on a surface, it is probably much worse behind the surface. So think of it this way. Think of it like an iceberg, right? Think of it like you chop the tip off of the iceberg. The Titanic is still sinking. It's still hitting the iceberg, right? You just couldn't see it anymore. Now that maybe they just sink faster because they didn't even get around it at all a little bit. But like, it's still happening, right? And that's kind of what happens if you try to surface clean mold in a house. For the most part, if you're talking drywall or cabinetry or some of the basic building materials in the house, it needs to be removed. You can't surface clean it. And so that's kind of the first piece. So that's if people are trying to surface clean, what you do is that you get the visual of it gone and then you think it's gone. And now it's like out of sight, out of mind. And it almost even downplays it more because you think that you're handled. Right. So you're still being exposed to it because it's still there. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if people actually say, you know what, I'm going to remove this cabinet that has mold in the bottom. I'm just going to demo it out and do it myself. What you're doing there you're dealing with potential biotoxins and biohazards that are sitting here, right? You watch a TV show, watch Grey's Anatomy and watch when they have some sort of biohazard thing going on and they're all in the body suits and they have the containments and God forbid somebody walks in the containment, it has a little cut in their suit, they start dying, like all this stuff starts happening, right? So that's obviously not like that dramatic, but that's what's happening. If you go and you rip out a cabinet, you're creating this microscopic like nuclear explosion, basically, that's blowing this stuff everywhere. You're going to be right in the path of it because your face is in there because you're doing it yourself. So you're going to get a massive exposure hit immediately. And then it's going to spread throughout your house because it's not contained within like that plastic bubble space. Now, all the other areas of your house are going to get cross-contaminated. It's going to get pulled in your heating and air conditioning system much more easily. It's going to get spread throughout your house and you're going to create a much larger problem than if you treated it the right way. Problem is, you know, people, they look at the, they look at it and they say, okay, I don't really see much of an issue here. Right. just Visibly. I don't see a whole lot of mold, even if the samples say that there's a big thing going on. And so when you can't visibly see it, it's harder to wrap your head around the significance of it. Right. And so that kind of gets downplayed and like, oh, well, I'll just like pull this out and put this new thing in. And next thing, you know, your symptoms spike and you're in a worse spot than you were
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And then even touching on that is even potentially like a delayed reaction as well. Like some people, let's say they did some cleaning on Sunday and then like maybe on the Wednesday, they start getting weird symptoms because I'd imagine there'd be for some people a delayed effect or some sort of build-up response.
1: Yeah. I think it's really person specific, right? Some people their toxic load is so heavy that a, a minor, you know, sort of exposure, you're going to have immediate trigger, right? Other folks, you could be getting exposed to stuff for maybe like a few years before you start showing symptoms. I mean, that's ultimately what happened to me, right? Like I had kind of an initial trigger and then it it got handled and fixed. And then I became the guy that goes into all the worst houses that there are. And over the years, my mycotoxin load built up. My Now I have bacterial issues in my gut. I have dysbiosis and I have like SIBO issues. I have all these things. It's all connected to what I've been doing for all these years in these homes. I was not generally one of that 40% of people that I talked about at the beginning. right? But over time with the exposure, I, I now am one of those people. Right. And so whoever you are, you could be on the side of the spectrum where you're lucky and you're in the 60% that isn't genetically predisposed or has another health condition that's triggering it. And for you, it's probably gonna take a little longer for these things to add up. I actually just did a podcast today with Dr. Jill Krista, which is why she's top of mind. I mentioned her earlier. I just finished recording with her. And she was funny. She was, she was saying, she's like, you know, because this question comes up, like, why am I sick? And somebody else isn't sick in the house. And like, you know, what's going on? And so there's all these things we talked about. And at the end of the day, she's like, you know what? You're, they may not be sick now, but if they stay here, they're going to be. It's just a matter of time because it is going to beat your body down. Now, if you get out fast enough and you're able to recoup and rebound, then that's great. But if you stay there and continue to stay there and never leave, you are going, it's just a matter of time before it hits you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's another thing that also just popped up is um, the implications on the, the microbiome. Uh, I think I've seen Dr. Jess MD. She's spoken a little bit about it, but um, yeah, have you seen any sort of new research implicating, you know, indicating damaging effects on the microbiome at all?
1: Oh, like a hundred percent. I mean, I haven't seen the research, but I talked to all the doctors to see the research. So I I use them to do the research and then I just ask them questions. Um, But Yeah. I mean, it's definitely connected the mycotoxin exposure impact on the gut, but it's not just that it's in these buildings that have water damage issues. Bacteria is also a component in these places, right? And when you breathe, We don't think about this you think that when you breathe it's into your lungs you also have a direct path directly into your gut from your breath you think you could do like deep gut breathing right like you breathe from your diaphragm you do this there's a direct path directly into your gut microbiome from your breathing pathway so if you're being exposed to mold or mycotoxins or bacteria or endotoxins which are bacterial toxins they are going to throw off the microbiome in the gut. Some of them, like even the endotoxins, they completely damage the gut wall, the barrier of the gut, and they allow all the stuff that's in there to much more easily flow out into the bloodstream. So we've all heard leaky gut. The analogy that I have heard on this is like, like, if you're eating gluten, it's like somebody's tearing a little tear in your gut lining, right? If you have endotoxins that you're being exposed to, it's as if the gut lining has a door and the endotoxin is the key to the door and you just open the door. Like that's the equivalent of the two, right? So this exposure that we have in the house can have a direct impact on, on gut microbiome.
0: Mm. Interesting. What about one final message, Brian, you want to give to my listeners in terms of what's something you, you know, one key message or one quick fact that you think is relevant to this sort of discussion?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing is people who start going down this road, find a lot of, they get into the Facebook groups and all these places and everyone is like, you got to burn your house down. Nothing ever works. And it's like very doom and gloom. You're going to die a slow death. Just deal with it. And I've seen it not happen that way. Right. I have seen like the worst of the worst types of people recover from this stuff. Okay. You don't necessarily have to burn your house down. You know, I mean, I, I had a kid we worked with a couple of years ago. It's like nine years old. The family moves into this house. As soon as they move into the house, his health, just off the cliff by the end of it, he's in a wheelchair on a feeding tube. Like that's how off the cliff his health went. He wasn't like that. He was normal before he's like playing like peewee football before we go in the house. Well, they, they bounce and bounce the doctor to doctor to doctor, right? Finally find a doctor that connects the, the mold component to what's going on. Then doctor refers to us. We go in the house, go through the house. What's interesting is that the house wasn't a terrible disaster, right? The problem is the basement was a problem, but their air conditioning unit lived in the basement. So what was happening is that while the basement was a problem, and sure it's impacting the space, the air conditioning system was then taking it, and moving it all over the house. And so the exposure was happening everywhere. There was a couple other things in the main part of the house, but the bulk of it was really the basement, the air conditioning system. They addressed those couple things. And this kid within like nine months is back to being a normal kid. Right. So there can be these dramatic recoveries. And I'm sure most of your listeners are not this kid who are in a feeding tube on a wheelchair. Right. So like, if we think that we are having some effects, it is not this end of the world thing where there's nowhere to start. And what I would just caution is don't go into these facebook groups and instagram profiles and see all these people that are doom and gloom and it's the end of the world and you have to go live in your backyard for the rest of your life like that's not true there's a path to get there it just has to be done the right way right but if you do it the right way there's a path to get there
0: yeah and i think you're doing a really good job like the content you're putting out on instagram and you know even with your own podcasts, you you really are helping to spread that message to people when you know it's i'm sure you've helped you know thousands of people and hopefully millions you know by the stage of you're done so maybe do you want to give my listeners Brian a chance to yeah where can they find you all of your social media platforms and all that good stuff
1: yeah absolutely so on Instagram we're at moldfinders that's kind of that's that we put stuff out pretty much every day there's something going on there my company itself is called we inspect that's the name of my company so if you're somebody that's interested in like having your house checked out or whatever, our website is yesweinspect.com. we inspect.com. And um, there's a little form you can fill out there and kind of get that process started. And, and that's, 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 kind of the two main spots. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Is the um, inspections only based in the, the U S currently or
1: inspections are U S only. Um, but I do have, so I created another training program that's called mold finders method that I basically it's, it's the training program that I put all of our inspectors through this is how you, so i mentioned the five things you look for. So basically it's like what you're looking for, where you look for them in every room of your house, basically. And I, and this is like our internal training program. I turned it into a consumer training program. that's kind of easy to digest. And I've had, we've had people across five different continents, uh, enroll, purchase this program and go through their own homes and actually find problems in their own homes. It's as if like, there's PDFs, there's blueprints. This is where you look. These are examples, like all this stuff. And it really, again, it empowers people to sort of do that. So from an international perspective, that has, it's crazy when you say five continents, but like, that's really what's happened. It's insane. So that's, uh, if people are listening somewhere else like, and, and you're interested in looking through stuff. Uh, it's called molefinders method. It's just MolefindersMethod.com, And that would probably be a good thing for you guys to look up.
0: Yeah, awesome. I'll make sure to leave those linked in the show notes for those listening in. But uh, yeah, Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's a, yeah, awesome, awesome chat.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you too. Awesome.
0: Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash
1: This has been a no-filter media production. Say what you want.